Let's pray. Lord, we are uh, thankful to come before you tonight and to just first to sing your praises. Um, that's a privilege that we would not have if not for a work outside of us. Um, that's a sacrifice that we would not be able to bring if not for your ordaining. And so um, I pray that as we have um, sung songs to you that we have done so wholeheartedly uh, from our hearts, uh, not just with our lips. I thank you that we can come before you in prayer uh, because you have made a way uh, for that to happen. Um, as we will study tonight, and I pray that you would allow us to rightly see and rightly appreciate a substitutionary sacrifice and being covered in the blood of Christ. I pray that we would grow in the joy that we have of having fellowship with the one true God. And I pray that as we hear your design and your purposes and your intentions, that we would aim to be meticulously obedient in the way that we live. Each week we continue to see more of your greatness, and I'm thankful for that opportunity tonight. Uh, pray that you would guide our time according to your will for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, Exodus 23.10 through 24.18 are the verses we're going to be looking to cover, so it's sort of a big stretch, uh, but completely doable. We're going to be looking at um, the last part of the laws, and we're going to be talking about the promise and the covenant. Um, so last week, we looked at a bunch of laws about, uh, let's look back in 23, um, some more things about ox, uh, uh, spreading a false report, um, justice. Um, so my question is, what has God revealed about the role He intends to play in your life? It's a pretty broad question. Hard to mess up the answer, so run with it. What has God revealed about the role He intends to play in your life? He's in charge. Yes, absolutely. Say that again. He's active, yes. The details, every detail. What else? Completely invasive. The last two weeks we've talked about how he's, he's an invasive God by design on purpose. It's not that he's rude and stepping where he shouldn't step. Um, he aims to affect and control every part of your life. Nothing's off limits. And it's usually those areas that we try to keep off limits where sin is dwelling because we're not wanting to surrender to God. And so uh, we had a phrase that we mentioned last week that God merits interest, entrance into all of life. God merits entrance into all of life. So if there's any area of your life where you think he doesn't need to go there uh, or he doesn't deserve to go there, I would plainly, lovingly say you're very wrong and repent because that's, he's invasive. He intends to affect every part of your life, every decision, every relationship. What did we learn last week about God's expectation for us in regards to our enemies? Say that again. Yeah, he holds us accountable and expects more of us. If their donkey strays, you bring it back to them. 
Oddly enough, that still has a little bit of application here in Hunt County. <laughs> what else? What kind of heart does that indicate, a person who would bring back their enemy's donkey? Compassionate, which is a reflection of what? Yeah, Christ, the character of our God. He's a compassionate God. He cares about justice. So for you to not do that would actually be an unjust movement lacking in compassion. And so God is saying, put my character on display in regards to even your enemies. Last week we considered there's a difference between random acts of kindness and intentional acts of obedience. Um, we did a thing with our youth group where we went to Florida and mowed yards, and the big thing was random acts of kindness, and it was like emphasis on random. We're so random. Us, us youth are so random. And it, I'm looking back on it saying, no, it should have been like intentional acts of obedience. It should have been I'm purposefully coming to serve you, to show you love, to encourage you, to help you to lift a burden if I can so that you can hear truth and hear the gospel. Um, so there's a difference between the two, and our intentional acts of obedience are not limited to those who seem deserving. Our intentional acts of obedience are not limited to those who seem like they deserve it. And in fact, we're supposed to go not just to those who seem like they don't deserve it, but to those who have set themselves against us, to, to our enemies, um, those who hate us. What did we learn uh, last week about God's expectation for us in regards to sojourners? Sojourners. Sojourners. Don't oppress them. And what else? Wait, what is a sojourner, first of all? Sounds like a very churchy word. What is a sojourner? Yeah, somebody who's maybe outside of the people. So a sojourner could come in many, many different forms. Why is it not good to simply leave your Egypt behind? What, what do we miss out on in regards to the sojourner? Why can't we just leave our Egypts behind? Yeah. Yeah. We share our experiences with those around us so they can be encouraged, meaning that sometimes we go through really hard, horrible, difficult, nightmarish seasons of life that are not to be made light of, but sometimes we get through those seasons and we're like, thank the Lord I got through that, and frankly, I don't want to revisit that. I don't want to revisit it in my mind. I don't want to revisit it with my friends anywhere. I don't want to revisit it, and the reality is, is that yeah, 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 his glory is not limited to just getting you through it. But in fact, you may be in it for the sake of someone else somewhere down the line, as we talked about last week on how you've experienced something and you can help someone else who's a, who's a sojourner in that same way. So what God is saying is what happened to you in Egypt should affect the way you treat others because you were the other at, the, at, at that point in time. And so what you went through there wasn't just for you, was well, just for Egyptians. It's for who you would engage later on, who needs to be embraced, who needs to be encouraged, who needs to be um, reminded of the truth in a timely manner. Um, Proverbs talks about it as apples of gold, words that are like apples of gold and settings of silver, a, a rightly placed, timely word that encourages people. Sometimes you have been on the receiving end of that, so you can be on the giving end of it later. 
So this week, we pick back up in verse 10, where we'll finish the details in regards to the law, and we'll begin to move in details about Canaan and the covenant. So look at verse 10 in chapter 23, 10 through 12. For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its field, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Um, what are we seeing in this whole six on, seventh off thing? Does that remind you of anything? Creation. Creation, exactly. God's doing that on purpose. It's not like, ooh, I found a gem in here. What a, I wonder if anyone else saw that. God's being very intentional. He's patterning his creative um, pattern, patterning his pattern. And uh, um, you want to write that in your notes. It's probably really important. Um, but he, he's saying, I want you in all of your living and all of your movement to be mindful of the fact that I am God and I created for six days and I rested on the seventh and I have always in, meant for it to be a pattern for you to live by. Every time this comes up, I want to point out we stink at this. We're horrible at rest in general. Now you may be, <laughs> if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not horrible at rest, congratulations. You're well rested. Most of the people around you aren't. That's awesome. But... Um, Anytime we see this, it's, it's a reminder that um, that's always been God's intention. I, I've heard um, people say phrases like, I'll rest when I die, things like that. That's um, just not biblically wise. Um, yeah. Um, and so, as far as this pattern goes, it's not even, he doesn't even just limit it to people. He limits it. What else does it, does it include? Say that again? The animals and what else? The crops, the fields, what else? Servants. Yeah, like the suffering or the, the eternal servant in, in the previous chapters. Six years you work and the seventh you can go free, or you can say, I want to serve my master forever because I love my master, my wife, my children. Um yeah, there. Just imagine how that would play out right now. Like, imagine if you as a small business owner, every seventh year, you just had to, like if you were, okay, just imagine you're a farmer, and it's like six years I have cultivated this field and we have reaped much benefit from it, and now I'm going to let it go so that the poor can use it. I mean, that is so other, that's like bad business 101 in America. It's like, that. that that's foolishness. You know how many years it's going to take to build that back to get to where you even were in year three and you were in year six and that just the return on your investment is foolish. God's not talking about return on investment. He's saying, I want all of your life. I'm not even going to limit it to people. I'm going to go to fields. I'm going to go to servants. I'm going to even go to the animals that pull the equipment to till the land. Um, I want all of it to be a reflection of who I am and how I intended for you to have a Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest and refreshment, in fact. Refreshment. If I asked how many of you feel rested, not many would raise your hands. 
If I asked how many feel refreshed, probably less would raise their hands. These go together. Sabbath rest and refreshment are a recurring pattern that God intends to be the pattern of life for His people. If we do not know how to rest, and if we are never refreshed, we are not rightly putting on display the glory of our God. First, if there is no refreshment in your rest, you may not be resting rightly. If there's no refreshment in your rest, you may not be resting rightly. The Hebrew word for refreshed is refreshed is nafash. Everyone say it with me, nafash. Doesn't that sound peaceful and refreshing? Um, it means refreshed as if by a current of air, nafash, to breathe. So if we rest without receiving the breath of refreshing air, then we may be resting wrongly. So my question is, what are some ways that we can rest wrongly? It's like a riddle. What are some ways we can rest wrongly? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and there's times appropriate for that. Like if you're doing it at work, Maybe you are lazy, um, but there's, there's times that are appropriate for it, and, uh, but sometimes, yeah, we think, oh, I feel guilty. I sh- I'm not supposed to sit down. Maybe, maybe that's not the case. What are some other ways we can rest wrongly? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that's a confusion that many of us struggle with. You're called to a life of work with seasons of rest. Not a life of rest with seasons of work. It's six days you work, and, you, and in America, because we couldn't decide, there's two weekend days, and we're still not rested or refreshed. So it's something to look at. Um, what are some other ways we can rest wrongly? I really want to look at this for a minute because there's lots of them. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I've confessed before, I'm the guy that will go on vacation, and I can't enjoy vacation because I know it will be over in five days, and so every day is just a step closer to vacation being over. That's foolishness. What, what are some, uh, sometimes we can rest in the wrong things. What are some wrong things we rest in? That is definitely wrong. Three-day Judge Judy marathons. Looking at her stresses me out. To watch, like, she's an intense lady. Scary. Okay. Y'all pray for Patrick. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We don't rest from Jesus. That's never something you should chase after. Man, I need a break from Jesus. I need a break from church. I need a break from God's people. I need a break from my Bible. What? We, we rest in those. We rest in Christ. We rest in the Word. We rest in God's people. They are blessings. And so uh, we could be resting in wrong things. We can rest in temporal things. We can rest in fleeting things. We can rest in fleshly things. Um, there are a number of ways that we can rest wrongly. And one indicator that you're resting in something wrongly is that there's no refreshment. If, you ha- if you're not refreshed, nafash, that breath of fresh air, uh, if that's not there, 
consider new ways to rest um, because mm-hmm. yes yep. yes yes we in our house we've actually recently been convicted that we are making an idol out of sleep because the less we had of it, the crankier we got. And then it became a, every morning you wake up and start off on the wrong foot. It's like, did you sleep last night? No, did you? No. And then it's like we're making an idol out of sleep, and you can absolutely rest. I mean, you can rest and rest does not have to equal completely unproductive. And so that's a great point, that we can rest in the things we do if we're doing them rightly, faithfully, carefully. Anyone else have any thoughts on resting wrongly? We're good at it. I hope these kinds of reminders help us to realize that God's not foolish. He's not foolish in His design. He's not foolish in creating you as a person who has to sleep. How many days do you have to go until you're considered legally insane without sleep? Isn't it like two or three days and you're considered legally insane? That we need sleep. It's God's design. And we need rest. And he, he patterns it. He, this is, remember, he's establishing Israel in their new freedom. And so he's saying, part of your freedom is work really hard, but rest rightly. Look at verse 13. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. False gods aren't even worth mentioning, so we won't. Look at verse 14. Three times in the year you shall keep a feast to me. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. As I commanded you, you shall eat unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time of the month of Abib. We all know Abib, for in it you came out of Egypt. Now, this is patterned after the Passover. And so this is, have this feast, celebrate this feast, do it in right remembrance of what I have done and how I delivered you out of Egypt. Remember when the winged destroyer passed over and because you're, the blood of the Passover lamb was on your doorpost, you were spared and then you were delivered. That, that's what this feast is, um, commemorating and reminding them of and keeping them mindful of. None shall appear before me empty-handed. None shall appear before me empty-handed. You shall keep the feast of harvest of the first fruits of your labor of what you sow in the field. You shall keep the feast of ingathering at the end of the year when you gather in from the field the fruit of your labor. Three times in the year you shall all, um, year shall all your males appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the fat of my feast remain until the morning. This is indicating all the Passover things. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. One commentator makes the point, and it was a good point. I didn't see it when I was reading it, and so I want to share it after I read what they said. And he, he makes the point that Moses was legislating with Canaan in view, not the wilderness. And so these things that God is revealing through Moses, and Moses is communicating to the people, they're with the promised land in view. They're with Canaan in view, not with Israel being a desert-dwelling people forever view. And so there's preparation going on. There's plans going on for where God is going to bring them. 
The people of the ancient world did not live in sealed compartments. Moses um, could well have envisioned what a settled way of life would mean. And through Moses, the Lord graciously used the agricultural year with its natural rhythm to stimulate the people in the worship of his name. That's a really complicated way of saying the three God-ordained feasts of unleavened bread, harvest, and gathering were patterned after what Israel would experience in a life largely ordered by agriculture. They're going to they're gonna come into this place. They're going to live there. Their lives are going to be patterned by agriculture in these seasons. And God is saying, I'm going to use that very thing that's already in place because I'm sovereign and awesome to help you remember that. So God's, God's on it here. Why is it not okay to come before God empty-handed? Yeah, we've been equipped. We've been blessed. We've been provided for. This is a, I mean, there's some misunderstanding in this that, that we show up for worship because we have nothing and we show up to get filled up and go pour it out, or do we bring something to God when we come to worship? Which is it? Well, this says don't show up empty-handed. What does it mean to bring your first fruits to God? Your best. What does that mean for people in 2012 with jobs or provision of any sort? What does that mean? Yeah? Get a good night's sleep. Come willing to listen. Come ready. Um, don't come empty handed. And how does first fruits translate? Huh? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. First fruits is um, first fruits. Hold on. Let me break that down. First fruits. Um, for many years, I had a hard time with that concept of first fruits. It sounds simple, but when I look at numbers on paper and bank account balances, and I, I just use simple mathematics in my head, sometimes I'm like, oh, dang, mm-mm, that's not going to work. And so what I'll do is I'll say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust you to make sure there's something left at the end of this. And if there is, O sovereign God, then I will give unto thee. That's really backwards. That's not first fruits. That's, that's whatever's leftover fruits, if anything's leftover fruits. This isn't meant to make you feel guilty. Like when we see passages like this, they used to make me feel guilty because I, I didn't do that. I, I didn't understand the concept of giving out of my mess and really trusting God. I said, well, I trust simple mathematics, and my God is very good, so somehow they go together, I'll give you what's left over. That's not faithful. I wasn't being faithful in that movement. And so what, what we're seeing here is God doesn't share these things to make you feel guilty. First fruits were brought as, as people were worshiping because of a God of abundant provision who had brought them out, provided for them, given them um, freedom, given them true life, given them a relationship with himself. So it wasn't a, here's my first fruits, hope I don't go hungry. That's not what that was meant to be. It's meant to be a wholehearted movement toward a God who is amazingly and abundantly uh, providing for his children. So the next obvious question is, what's up with the thing about the goat being boiled in its mother's milk? 
Um, anyone want to take a shot of it before we go? Anybody? All right, I had to look it up. Uh, this was a Canaanite fertility rite. In short, uh, the Canaanites would perform this ritual to a pagan god if they wanted to have a baby. So, oh pagan god, we want to have a baby. Here's a goat, a baby goat, and here's its mother's milk. I'm going to boil in it as a sacrifice to you. That's what they would do. Um, this is yet another display of God's intention of his people being different. Um, set apart for the communication and preservation of the truth. Some people have tried to wrongly use these verses to talk about fertility treatments and all this stuff. I think that is a total farce. I don't agree with that. And if you want to talk to me about it later, we can. But I think that what this is talking about is a completely pagan movement. Um, anything done outside of faith is sin. That's what Romans 14 says. So be careful. Don't put your faith in anything but our Lord. And if you choose to to use any sort of method or whatever for conceiving children, uh, this, is, this is just saying anything done outside of faith is sin. Don't, don't put your faith in something other than God. So, um, so don't take that too far. Um, but this is here to, uh, for people who are set apart for the communication and the preservation of the truth. Um, they probably didn't know what he was talking about. Think about that. Like, really climb into the context. They, they probably didn't have any clue... Like, when I read through these chapters of Exodus, it's really hard for me not to go, man, God is so random. He's so just, he's, I, he might have ADD. He's just all over the place, and it's just crazy. But he is so specific. That's the issue. I'm not used to his specificity. And so what he's doing is he's saying, he's putting things before them. He's informing them. He's equipping them. He's guiding them, and, and he's warning them as well. And this is a warning. They may not have known what he was talking about. They may have been like, okay, let's write that down and make sure we don't do that. Um, they they uh, probably wouldn't have known about it until they stumbled upon it. That happens now. Um, I was thinking, it, it's kind of like going to college. Think about it. Like, when you see them throwing the ping pong balls into the little red cup, don't take part. It's like, I don't know what he's talking about. But as soon as you see that happening, you'll be like, oh, I get it. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, ask your neighbor. Um, but it's like God warns us about things. It's pretty cool to think about how detailed he is. He's saying, he's saying you'll encounter things, and I'm warning you about them, and you may not even know what I'm talking about until you get there. But that's how thorough he is. That's how detailed he is. Um, there's still, I'm watching people go, what does that mean? Um, it's not important. Just, you know, steer away from it. Take the warning, and uh, along with the goat thing. And so it is with you today. Don't take part in godless things. It's not okay to take part and then just dismiss their importance. It's not okay to just take part in godless things and then dismiss their importance. It's not okay to take part in godless things and then just say, well, my heart's not in it, so it doesn't matter. Rather, set yourself apart as God has set you apart. And keep conduct that is in line with holiness and scrupulous obedience. It would have not been fitting for an Israelite who desired to have a child to consider boiling a baby goat in its mother's milk. Now that seems so weird to us, but I mean, there's, it just wouldn't have been fitting, but it would have been tempting. 
there's lots of things for us today that aren't fitting that are likely very tempting, and we have to be careful to be scrupulously obedient to what God has called us to. And the only way that we can be scrupulously obedient is if we know what He says, is if we know what He has commanded, is if we know what His will is for our life. Because we'll come to points where we'll say, I don't know, is this right or wrong? And if you don't know what He says, there's less likelihood that you're going to choose obedience in that. You, you may, I mean, our flesh rages. You may figure out a way to say, well, maybe if I just try this, I'm a believer, but I'll try it faithfully. You can't boil a baby goat in its mother's milk faithfully. That's kind of what the passage is getting at. Maybe I just retitled the message tonight. My question would be, what are some real-life practical applications of this law from God? Real-life practical application. It's fun to talk about it in a nebulous way, in the ethereal. Yeah, conceptually, I like that. Real-life practical applications from God. How does this apply? Don't take part in godless things. It's not okay to take part and just dismiss the importance. It's not okay to take part and just say, oh, my heart wasn't in it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what are some of those cultural things? Gemini's do we have in the room? I'm totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Put your faith in the filthy socks. Yes. What are some other cultural things we can get wrapped up in? Yeah. 
it's really, I mean, it's really important because those things will come up and it's, you could say, God doesn't really care. But he does. He definitely does, making sure that we rest. We have a, a Sabbath rest. And so you have to take those things into account with, in decisions like that. Y'all think any other cultural things uh, where this would be applicable? Mm-hmm. Oh, amen. Double amen. Yeah. Just because you have opportunities to express your opinion doesn't mean you should express your opinion. Yeah, we have like way more. People used to have to write letters and get on horses and take them somewhere to express something, and now we're, we can express it in 15 ways in two seconds. And um, sometimes it can be good, but sometimes it can be bad. And so keeping stuff with the spirit in that. I'm thinking about um, joy and possessions. You know, do our lives look any different? Or do we look like people who are taking joy in possessions and just saying we're not? Um, slander and gossip, so easy. So easy. There's entire television networks given to slander and gossip. And it's like, I don't gossip and I don't slander, but I'll watch three hours of it on TV, it's like, which goes into the same forms of entertainment. Are our forms of entertainment any different? Um, um, it starts sounding fairly radical when you talk about the differences uh, because some of the things are so, so natural and normal uh, in our daily life. Look at verse 20. Wow. Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him. Obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. Verse 20 is a sort of turning point in God's communication. He's been talking about these laws, and now he's getting to the point of saying, um, it's getting to be time to go, to move forward to the promised land. So 20 is a, is a turning point in, in this section of Scripture. Laws, 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 laws. Now as you go, I'm sending an angel before you. So it's sort of, okay, now get, get ready, gird your loins, this, this is what this is going to be. Um, what do we know from these verses about the place they're going? From these verses. Yep. It'll be possessed by them in verse, um, uh, verse 20. What does that reveal about the place they're going? Yeah, God's prepared it for them. That's a big deal. It's been prepared by God. What does the angel do? Guards and... Yeah, guards and guides. We'll stick with G's for the sake of alliteration. And what is our responsibility or the people's responsibility in those verses? Pay careful attention and obey and don't rebel. Um, paying careful attention is, is something that's repeated in Scripture. I'll, I'll go ahead and do a plug for the women's retreat, February 24th through 25th. Proverbs eleven fourteen and an abundance of counselors, there's safety. Um, paying careful attention to your life is not something that is easy to do by yourself. Look in the mirror. How am I doing today? You're doing great. Fantastic. And in an abundance of counselors, there's safety. In an abundance of counselors, there's victory, is what it says in, actually later on in Proverbs 24. So, um, women's retreat, if you are a woman, February 24th through 25th. This is a command that's repeated in the Scriptures. I'm going to read some. I don't want you to turn there, but Acts 20, 28. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Isaiah 48, 18 is the flip side of it and says, Oh, that you had paid attention to my commandments. Then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Make the connection to where we're at in Hebrews 2, verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And in 1 Timothy 4.16, it says, Keep a close watch on your life and keep a close watch on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We are at many times unnecessarily sloppy and haphazard in regard to the way that we live. We're supposed to be set apart. It's supposed to be different. And a lot of times we're sloppy and haphazard in the way we live. We make decisions. We don't take God into account. We don't think through the, the, the consequences. We don't think about what people would think about our God if they were judging him on the basis of our actions. We're sloppy and haphazard too often. Have you ever heard the phrase, let go and let God? Not a fan of it. Um, let go and let God. That is not an excuse to let go of obedience. People I hear, people let go and let God. It's like, just don't do anything and see what happens. No, 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 no. This is not about letting go of obedience. Um, pay careful attention and obey. And then look what God does in verse 22. So it's not let go and let God. It's pay careful attention, obey, do not rebel. And then look at what God does in verse 22. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. We sometimes forget rich promises like this, and we make the mistake. We make a mistake of thinking that if um, that somehow obedience to God gives power to the enemy. Obedience to God doesn't give power to the enemy. We may think, well, I could take care of it myself, and I got a good feeling it would work out. But if I obey God, I guess I give power to the enemy. That's not how it works. That's not. That's a lie from the enemy. God is mighty and powerful, and we forget these rich promises and make that mistake. It's been said that sometimes God fights through us, and sometimes God fights for us. Sometimes God fights through us, sometimes God fights for us. Either way, it's God who's doing the heavy lifting. We pursue obedience to Him, and we watch what He does. So don't just let go and be lazy and hope for the best. Pursue obedience. Pay careful attention to your life obey, trust, do not rebel, and see him caring for you and fighting for you and guiding you and guarding you and delivering you. Look at verses 23 through 28. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. So this isn't you know what, I want y'all to be kind and walk into their place of worship and just sort of mingle. Shake hands. No, no, no. That's not what's happening here. Here it's, you know that pillar that they have um, that they use to, to, to uh, sacrifice and worship pagan gods? What I want you to do is pick it up and smash it into pieces. This is not subtle. Everything in me wants to smash that into pieces right now. I just, it'd be, y'all remember it, it would stick with you but I won't. Um, so uh, you shall serve the Lord your God. He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you 
and I will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come, and I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. Okay, this is a sweet reminder that God goes before us in our endeavors, using a million different ways to prepare the way for us to walk in obedience and accomplish His purposes. He does so much more than we realize. We could set ourselves about something. We could be moving forward in obedience and think, okay, I need to pay attention to this and to this and to this. And God's like, that's cool because I got this, 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 this. I mean, he's got so much that he's paying attention to, and that's a reminder here in these verses. Have any of you experienced God using something that you didn't expect for the purpose of placing you where you need to be? That's a question I want to ask. Using something you didn't expect for the purpose of placing you where you need to be. Like hornets. I met with someone today who was like, I'm going to pray for the hornets thing. I think that would be effective in my situation. God, using something you didn't expect for the purpose of placing you where you need to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, random meeting of certain people for those reasons. What else? Yeah. Hypothetically speaking, of course. Yeah. Did someone over here? Anyone else? Wow. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Yeah, these are the discussions that help to have sober mindedness in those circumstances. Like, that's why we have these talks. That's why we look at the word like this, because you'll be in that circumstance and think, this stinks. Everything about this stinks. I don't like this. And only to realize he's still sovereign. He's still on his throne. He's still moving forward in his kingdom work. And he goes before you, he prepares a way. He sent hornets to drive them out. Imagine what that was like. Imagine being someone being driven out by hornets. Have you ever been stung by a hornet? That is an effective way to drive people out that you would not have come up with. And he did. Look at verse 29 through 33. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possess, to possess the land. 
And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, from the wilderness to the Euphrates, for I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. This is a sweet reminder that God goes before us, and it certainly seems to be a picture of dominion. A picture of dominion. God is saying, you go exercise dominion here. I'm exercising dominion, you exercise dominion. The goal is not that God's people try to mix in quietly with the inhabitants. It's not like, okay, I'll be real quiet. When you get there, try to make it, uh, maybe they won't know you're there, and it'll work out better. That's not what's going on here. Um, The goal is not that God's people try to mix in quietly with the inhabitants. Rather, what God intends here is a people who serve only Him. A people who serve only Him. A people who worship only Him. A people who are not given to cultural norms or to just new ideas just because they're new. The people not easily led into sin because of the inhabitants and the ways of others. Um, There are plenty of ways that simple habits and tendencies of others could lead us into sin if we're not obedient and careful and attentive to our life and to the way that we walk. Verses 29 through 30 remind me of the need for sobriety and trust in our journey toward the promised land. Look at 29 through 30 again. I will not drive them out from before you in one year lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. Um, what's unique about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I have a tendency towards impatience, personally. That would drive me crazy. A year, uh, not less than a year is actually what it says. Um, I have to battle against impatience all the time. Many of us see what seems to be within our grasp only to have God put the brakes on. Have you ever been there? You see, oh, it's in my, I I can taste it. And then (laughs) God puts the brakes on. Okay. And usually we don't respond with, oh, sovereign heavenly Father, thank you for putting the brakes on. What do I need to learn here? Usually we respond by saying, um, by questioning God. A lot of us will respond in that circumstance by questioning God and not with respectful questions sometimes. But hard transitions, hard transitions will often need to take significant time. God knows more about the attention that is needed to be paid to the details than you do. So, These transitions can take a lot of time. Remember, God never intends for us to get to a point where we no longer have to trust Him. God never intends for us to get to a point where it's like, oh, congratulations, you graduated out of the class who still has to trust me. It's not God's plan. It's not His purpose. Even when the promised land is in sight, faith is still necessary because it may take another year at least to inhabit it. So the opposite of walking by faith is walking by sight. So when you're tempted to walk by sight... Call it what it is, a lack of faith. When you're tempted to walk by sight, call it what it is. It's like, I've prayed it before. God, I want to walk by sight. Okay, and I should repent now. I mean, sometimes it's just coming out with it. It's like, well, that is what it is. I'm wanting to walk by sight, which is the opposite of faith. Walking by faith is not stupidity either. Don't let anyone tell you that. Oh, you're going to put faith and just step on out there and die, maybe. But death doesn't separate us from God. 
this is, um, this is difficult. We're talking about the promised land, the place that they were intended to go, the whole reason they were brought out of Egypt so that they could worship their God in this place. And God's saying, it's going to take time. I, I pay attention to those fields because my people are going to be in those fields and they're going to need something to eat. And so I'm going to take care of those details there. I also don't want you to be overwhelmed by the wild beasts. And so it's going to be sort of a transitional thing. It's going to take time. It's going to take patience. Um, verses like this remind us that we need to be uh, patient people. Um, sometimes our lack of faith will reveal itself through our impatience. Sometimes our lack of faith will reveal itself through our impatience. Next week, we're going to go into chapter 24 and look at the covenant being confirmed, and we're going to go into the contributions for the sanctuary, Ark of the Covenant. Um, I would encourage you to read ahead. We're going to be in Exodus for a while, and we're going to be in Hebrews for a while. And so it would be totally fitting for God's people at Crosspoint to regularly be reading through Exodus and Hebrews. Not only, but it would prepare us for the weeks to come. It would, it's so much better if y'all, if y'all have read, excuse me, dinner time. It would be so much better if y'all have read this and then we come and discuss it rather than just kind of hit, hitting this cold. Um, and the same thing applies for Sunday mornings. I'm probably going to be preaching out of Psalm 146 this week. So go and read it and, and ready yourself to hear that. Um, maybe it, it could totally change, um, but maybe. I don't know. Y'all can pray about that too. Um, uh, so yeah, um, be reading ahead and, and preparing for, for what's to come. There's some pretty, pretty awesome sections of Scripture. Not that some aren't awesome, but these are particularly awesome that we're about to uh, be moving into. So let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for uh, not making it so that we just sort of grasp and feel after you blindly and have no idea what you want from us in our lives. You are meticulous. You are detailed. Um, you intend to affect every part of our lives. I pray against all dark corners. I pray that if any of us are sitting here right now and we have dark corners in our lives that we don't want to give you access to, I pray that you would help us by the work of the Spirit and maybe by fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to repent to confess our sins so that there can be healing, so that we can move forward faithfully in obedience. We want to do that because there's no one like you, and we want others to know you. We want to do that because there's no one like you, and we have the sweet opportunity in our very short lives on earth to bring you glory and honor you and put your glory on display for others to see. Thank you for our time tonight. We thank you for Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.